there. Welcome to another life-transforming sermon with Dr. Dazwit Achero. Genesis chapter 3. From verse 1. That one you should be able to get it. It's the easiest. Even if you close one eye, you can get it. Um, put one finger there and jump over to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. From verse 29. If you're there, you say amen. So let's begin by reading Genesis chapter 3 verse 1 and then we'll jump over to Mark. Genesis chapter 1 chapter 3 rather from verse 1 the Bible says now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord had made. He said to the woman did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree, tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent we may eat of the fruit of the tree in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is, the, that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. I had to emphasize there because some, some men think that Eve was alone. She was not alone. The man was also there. Quiet. In fact, we should blame the man more. <laughs> Let me not go there. Men are really looking at me. Say, Pastor, spare us. Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. Uh, Mark chapter 10. I believe you are there already. Mark chapter 10. We are reading from verse 29. Mark chapter 10 from verse 29. Are you there? Now the Bible says, Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses, brothers and sisters and mothers, and children, and learns with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. Let us pray. Father, we bless you, and we thank you for this beautiful Sunday morning you have given unto us. I pray that you speak to me even as I share your word today. I thank you for revelation that will leap from this text and just illuminate our eyes 
our lives so that we may be able to see, we may be able to grasp, we may be able to embrace that which you want us to hear and to know this morning. I pray for every man, every woman under the sound of my voice that you speak to them, that you touch them, that you transform their lives through this Rema word. We love you and we bless you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Before you sit down, before you sit down, I want to speak this morning on the subject, the compensation of discipleship. Bringing to a close uh, the sermon series, Growing Deeper. Please be seated. We began uh, this fantastic series three weeks ago uh, by looking at the call of a disciple. And I endeavored uh, with all my heart as God enabled me to be able to show you that as a Christian, you have been called to be a disciple of Jesus Christ and I showed you who a disciple is and what uh, is expected of every disciple of Jesus Christ that you're supposed to be a learner you're supposed to be a student and you're supposed to follow Christ we also looked at the characteristics of a disciple if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ what are some of the things that are supposed to ooze out of your life and then last Sunday we looked at the cost of discipleship and we saw uh, that uh, we discovered rather that uh, discipleship is going to cost you. It's going to cost you time, it's going to cost you money, it's going to cost your relationships, it's going to cost everything, even your own, own life. Because Jesus said that if you cannot love me more uh, than this, more than the brothers and sisters and land and wealth, then you cannot be my disciple. And it was a very, very unique service because uh, God called us as a church to come to a place where we are willing to pay the price of following Jesus Christ. And today, by the grace of God, I just want to conclude this series uh, by showing you that all is not lost. That there is compensation for every man, every woman that will decide to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. There are fringe benefits that you can be able to enjoy when you wholeheartedly decide that you're going to follow Jesus Christ. Can I tell you that God is a very good God? That the God that we serve, he's a good, good God. He is just. God cannot demand anything from us without attaching a promise to it. When God demands your time, when God demands your affection, when God demands your love, there is a promise that he attaches to the demand. And so when you do what God does, even though it looks like it is difficult, even though it looks like it is so hard, but when you decide to obey God, then at the end of the day, you will realize that there are blessings that are attached to our obedience. Can somebody say amen it is true discipleship is demanding discipleship has demands but i want you to understand that there is also compensation at the end of the day that means god will not just ask you to forsake all to follow him and then you end up with nothing in this service, um, I will endeavor to show you and just to open your eyes so that you may be able to realize that even though you are losing but actually in the real sense you are gaining can somebody say amen? So before we look at the benefits, I just want to demystify some four myths about discipleship. Number one, myths about discipleship. Number one, uh, the people who say that discipleship is 
optional. Many people today falsely believe that there are two levels of Christianity. One is the basic Christianity. Uh, this means that once you are saved or once you are born again, uh, that's the end of the story. Uh, once saved, always saved. You just sit back, you don't do anything, and just enjoy the ride. So long as you say it, Lord Jesus, come into my heart, change me, transform me. I receive you as the Lord and Savior of my life. As soon as you make that prayer, you just relax and everything is just going to be fine. Uh, that is basic Christianity. And some believe uh, that we have super Christianity. And in super Christianity, they believe this is just for pastors. This is just for those who are involved in ministry. This, uh, 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 it involves, of course, salvation, uh, discipleship, and even a theological training. It's called super Christianity. So there are people who belong to super Christianity, and there are people who belong to the category I call basic Christianity. But I want you to understand something, that discipleship is not optional. True Christianity has nothing to do with this school of thought. Christ made discipleship mandatory. You don't have to be a super Christian for you to be a disciple. In fact, let me tell you, discipleship is not just for pastors, it's not just for apostles, it's not just for evangelists. Uh, discipleship cuts across the board, is for everyone. Because Christ made it mandatory for all Christians. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 to 20, the Bible says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Somebody shout all. Oh, that was not a shout. Somebody shout all. So that means you and me, we are included in this program of discipleship. So there is nothing like basic Christianity. There is nothing like super Christianity. All of us, we are supposed to enroll in the school of discipleship. Because when Jesus was sending his disciples, he told them, go to the world and make disciples of all nations. Somebody shout again, all nations. So this simply means that discipleship is not optional. It is a must. It is for all nations. It is for everybody. Whether you're a pastor or not. Whether you're a church worker or not. Whether you're a prayer warrior or not. Discipleship is for everyone. Number two myth that I want to demystify is uh, discipleship only involves learning. Some people believe that discipleship is just for your head and not for your life. Uh, they believe it is not practical for you to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. But Jesus, uh, in the same, same portion of scripture that we have read in Matthew chapter 28, he said, after you make them disciples, you need to teach them, in verse 20, teaching them to observe, somebody shout observe, to observe all things that I have commanded you. That means they should not just learn, but they should come to a place where they obey my instructions. They obey my commands. And so that means discipleship is not just limited to learning. Discipleship is not limited to accumulation of information. You need to take another step where you are able to practice everything that we, we have learned. And I want to challenge you since the day we started this series, I want to challenge you to put into practice everything that we have learned so far as far as discipleship is concerned. So discipleship has two parts. There is the learning part, but you don't stop there. You have to move to another stage 
and you start obeying everything that you have learned. Can somebody shout amen? Number three, myth that I want to demystify about discipleship. Uh, some people uh, say that you do not need to do anything to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. It will just happen. Uh, you don't have to uh, put any effort in it. You don't even have to work towards it. Uh, you don't have to do anything. It will just happen. It is like magic. It will just happen. But you need to understand that authentic, authentic discipleship requires diligence. There is some effort that is required for you to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. You will not just stay there, do nothing, and become a disciple of Jesus Christ. You will not just cross your hands, cross your legs, and if you have uh, your spectacles, you drop them at the edge of your nose, and you believe that you become a disciple of Jesus Christ. It will never happen. Tell your neighbor it will never happen. This is not magic. This is not abracadabra. You have to do something. Abracadabra rather. You have to do something for you to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. Touch your neighbor. Tell them do something. Yeah, yeah. You, you have to do something. You have to sacrifice your time. You have to sacrifice your talents. You have to sacrifice your own passions. You have to sacrifice your own emotions for you to come to a place where you carry your cross and become a disciple of Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12. The Bible says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. The pastor will not work out your salvation. Your brother will not work out your salvation. The Bible says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It is you to deal with that pride in your life. Oh, you're so quiet. It is you to deal with that nasty, rotten attitude in your life. It is you to deal with that lying spirit in your life. Do I have people in this house this morning? Nobody will do it for you. You have to take charge of your spiritual life and begin to rearrange things so that you can become a true disciple of Jesus Christ. The last myth that I want to demystify, uh, uh, this is how it goes, that the cost of discipleship outweighs the benefits of discipleship. Some people subscribe to this thought, saying that the cost of discipleship the demands of discipleship outweigh the benefits of discipleship. And so they say you can't meet the demands of discipleship. You cannot pay the price. You cannot embrace the cost because it is just too much. Some people even believe it's for super Christians, superhumans, spiritual spider men and spider women. Did you watch those movies? People who claim the world with nothing. So some people believe that discipleship, truly uh, speaking, is not for normal Christians. It's people who are considered super uh, Christians. In fact, I believe last Sunday, for those who are here, as I was reading those scriptures, you were saying, my goodness, are we able to attain that level? But I came to tell you, we can attain that level. If Jesus was able to attain that level, you and I, we can attain that level in the name of Jesus. Yes, you can deny yourself. Yes, you can learn to hate. Somebody shout hate. Yes, you can carry your own cross. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm not getting my yes. Yes, you can esteem Christ above the riches and the wealth of this world. Because if Jesus did it, you can also do it. Can somebody shout amen?
in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 30, the Bible says, For his yoke is easy and his burden is light. So that means when you, talk, when you take the, the, the yoke of Christ upon you, that yoke is easy. You can be able to carry it. You can be able to walk with it. You can be able to live with it. When you take on the burden of Jesus Christ, it is not so heavy that it will crush you. It is not so heavy that it will destroy your life. You can be able to carry that burden. In fact, as you are carrying it, you will enjoy carrying the burden of Jesus Christ. I rather carry the burden of Jesus Christ than carry the burden of the devil. Ah, do I have people in this house? I rather carry the burden of Jesus Christ than carry the burden of sicknesses. I rather carry the burden of Jesus Christ, the burden of joy, the burden of peace, the burden of love, than carry the burden of hatred, the burden of envy, the burden of jealousy. I rather carry the burden of Jesus Christ because the burden of Jesus Christ is light. His yoke is easy. He says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Oy! That means when you are in Christ, even if you are paying the, 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 the price of discipleship, there is joy in it. There is peace in it. There is happiness in it. I don't know about you, but since I came to Jesus Christ, I am enjoying following Jesus. Since I came to Jesus Christ, at least at night I can sleep without being worried. Since I came to Jesus Christ, I have joy in my heart. Sometimes I don't have money, but I have joy. Sometimes I don't even have a job, but I have joy. Sometimes I don't feel like things are going the way I want them to go. But the peace of God is keeping my mind, is keeping my heart. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. So nobody should cheat you that the cost of discipleship outweighs the benefits of discipleship. In fact, I want you to know that the cost of not embracing discipleship far outweighs the cost of embracing discipleship. When you don't embrace discipleship, you will pay more. Did you hear what I say? When you say, I will not carry my own cross. When you say, I will not learn to hate. When you say, I will evade the process of discipleship, it will become much more expensive on your part. So you rather embrace the cost of discipleship because the, the yoke is easy and the burden is light. Hey! I'm enjoying myself in here. Oh, the yoke of serving God is easy. It is easy. Oh, I'm having a blast being a pastor. Because the yoke of serving God is easy. The burden for serving God, I can be able to carry. Can somebody say amen? Now, if you avoid the process of discipleship, you will not enjoy abundant life. And life will become more difficult, brutal, and even meaningless. Yes, it is costly to follow Christ. Yes, it is demanding to be his disciples or his disciple. But the benefits far outweigh the cost you stand to gain than to lose you stand to become a better person by following jesus christ i don't know i wish i had time to share with you testimonies of people who are not enjoying marriage before they were born again and as soon as they got born again
they fell in love again with each other. Because all of a sudden, even their language has changed. Their treatment of each other has, oh Jesus, help me preach. Everything about them has changed. And all of a sudden, the home is a heaven of peace. Because the man who used to be abusive, now he uses his hands to caress the wife. Oh, he even carries the wife to the car. Because of Jesus. His burden is light. And his yoke is easy. A man used to come to house after 1 a.m. By 6, he's in the house like the chicken. Ah, Jesus. His burden is light. And his yoke is easy. Do I have a witness in this house? Come on, do I have a witness in this house? So let me now give you the compensation of discipleship. I came to tell you this morning that all is not lost. Ah, oh, you stand to gain. Somebody, somebody shout, I stand to gain. Yeah, by following Jesus, you stand to gain in the name of Jesus. Number one thing that you're going to uh, receive as a disciple of Jesus Christ, uh, discipleship will enhance intimacy with God. You see, when you follow someone, you get close to him. A bond develops between the two of you. And before long, your souls are knit together to a point you are inseparable. Uh, like Jonathan and David. In Mark chapter 3 and verse 14, the Bible says that Jesus appointed 12 disciples that they might be with him. He appointed them so that they can just be with him. He chose the 12 so that everywhere that he goes, they can just be together. Where he sleeps, they will sleep. What he eats, they eat. Everywhere he went, he just wanted to be with the disciples. So before he even sent them out, the first thing that we are seeing Jesus doing after, after appointing the 12 disciples, he just wanted them to hang around him, to watch him as he watches them, to speak to them, to talk to them, to interact with them. So discipleship uh, provided a platform for the disciples of Jesus to work on their intimacy with him. Are you getting what I'm saying? And that's why you realize that everybody was following Jesus. But because he didn't choose them as the disciples. When he went to a lonely place, he went with the twelve. Because they were close to him. So discipleship will always help you to be intimate with God. To be closer to God. To be one with God. I want you to understand that God wants to be so close to you. He doesn't want anything to come in between you and him. And that's why he has suggested the process of discipleship to us. So that by us being disciples, true disciples of Jesus Christ, we can move closer to him. And you will realize even among the twelve, there were three who were more closer to Jesus than others. One was John. And the Bible says that John used to love just putting his head where the chest of Jesus is. Can you imagine? Just to hear the heartbeat of Jesus' heart. Doom, doom, doom. Maybe it was saying, John, 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 I love you. John, 
John. So discipleship will definitely draw you closer to God. I, 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 just, I just came to tell you this. Let me tell you. Let me tell you something. You need to desire to be so close to God. So close to God. Because sometimes as a Christian, if you're not careful, you can be a Christian, but you're far away from God. You don't feel God around you. You don't feel his presence around you. You don't even hear his voice. Yet God speaks. In fact, if I, I, if I was to ask, when was the last time you heard the voice of God? You will be shocked at the answers you'll get. In fact, there are Christians here, they have never even heard the voice of God. Audible voice of God. They say, I felt a thing. There's a thing I feel. The, the one voice was telling me, do it. Another one was saying, don't do it. Now, which one is God? A voice. You see, when you spend time with someone, you don't even have to see them. When you hear, when you hear their voice, you will know them. There are days when I go back home and I knock at my door. All right? And the children come. Even before they see me. When they just ask, who is that? And I say, it is me. I don't say, it is your father. I just say, it is me. They shout, daddy. Why? I have spent time with them until they know my voice. They don't have to see me with their eyes. All they need to do is just to hear my voice. And when they hear my voice, they know daddy is at home. Aye. You get this powerful revelation. You don't need to see God. If you spend time with God, when God speaks to you, you will know that is God speaking to you. When the devil speaks to you, you will know that is the devil speaking to you. Because you can be able to differentiate between the voice of God, the voice of the devil, and your own voice. But because we are far, we hear so many voices. And so we become confused. We don't, is it God? Is it me? Is it my neighbor? Did you say something? No. Are you sure? I had something. You are confused. Why? You are not closer to God. When you are closer to God, God doesn't even have to speak. When he whispers. Ah, church, I'm taking you to very deeper places. When God just whispers, you will know that is the voice of God. Remember Elijah when he was in the cave and the Bible says that there was an earthquake and he thought that God was in the earthquake, but God was not in the earthquake. There was fire. He thought God was in the fire. God was not in the fire. And then finally God spoke to him in a still, small voice because God does not have to shake this building for him to speak to you. The reason why God has to shake the building is because some of us, we are dull of hearing God's voice. So when you see the seats are upside down, you say, God is here. God is here. I feel him. God is here. But God doesn't have to move like that. He wants you to be so close to him that when he even whispers in your ear, you will know God is speaking to me. Oh, Jesus, help me preach in this house. God doesn't have to shake the foundations of this building and speak in a loud voice and say, Sister so-and-so, brother so-and-so, thus saith the Lord. Hey, God, what are you saying? God, 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 God. He doesn't have to speak like that. When you're closer to God, you will hear God. In fact, sometimes you don't even have to hear his voice. When your ear is so close to his heart and the heart of God is pumping, you will know what God is saying through the language of, of his heart. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So before he speaks, you can be able to interpret the rhythms of his heart. Because you are so closer to him. 
So discipleship moves you closer to God. Somebody shout, I want to be closer to God. Hmm. Shout again, I want to be closer to God. Now in Mark chapter 4, verse 33 to 34, the Bible says, With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. It's, it's talking about the crowds. But without a parable, he did not speak to them. That means when Jesus was addressing the crowd, he had to use a parable. But that scripture continues to say, and when they were alone, when they were alone, who are these? The disciples, together with who? With Jesus. When they were alone, he explained all things to his disciples. So that means when Jesus was addressing the crowd, he spoke in parables. He gave a story. There was a man who went to a far land. That's how you're speaking to the crowds. And when he came to the disciples, he told them, do you remember the parable I gave? This is the meaning of the parable. So in other words, the disciples didn't just get the parable, but they also got the explanation of the parable. Oh, please hear me. They didn't just hear the story, but Jesus sat down with them and explained the meaning of the story. So that means by the time the crowd was leaving the meeting, they were just saying, it was a very nice story. Oh, Jesus is a storyteller, man. Man, that man, that man can paint a picture with words. Did you hear that story? Which one? That one. So they just talk about the stories. But the disciples were getting double portion. The story and the meaning behind the story. So who was better off? Come on, shout to me. Who was better off? The disciples. Why? Because they were closer to Jesus Christ. Their proximity to Christ deepened their understanding of scriptures. Because Jesus spent time explaining everything unto the disciples. So it is through discipleship that intimacy is possible. It is through discipleship that a deeper understanding of God and the scriptures is possible. I want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. I want to be so close to Jesus Christ that even when he wants to do something, he will whisper in my ear. Oh, somebody say amen. And God wants even to choose a president. He will whisper in my ear. My goodness. If I say this on TV, all the politicians will come to see me. If I tell them I know who is going to be the next president of this country because God has spoken to me. All of a sudden I'll become a celebrity. Pictures all over. Twa, twa, twa. But I came to tell you it is possible. Because when you look at the Old Testament, when God wanted to anoint a king, he sent a prophet. And he spoke to the prophet. And the king didn't look like a king. When David was being appointed, he didn't even look like a king. But God had already said it. May we move closer to God so that we may chart a way for this country. Can somebody shout a better amen in this house? Intimacy is only possible through discipleship. So it is discipleship that precipitates intimacy, which propels Christ's disciples into a realm of revelation knowledge and deep understanding of the world. Number two, another blessing, our compensation of discipleship, number two is it helps us to adjust our priorities. 
When you become a disciple of Jesus Christ, your priorities will be readjusted. All right? To be a disciple of our Lord, it demands that he becomes the most, somebody shout the most, he becomes the most important person in our lives. Our union with him must have precedence over the world, over wealth, over self, and all human relationships. In Genesis chapter 3, scripture that we, are re we have read, after God created Adam and Eve, uh, between chapter 2 and chapter 3, uh, God was their priority. God was the most important person in their lives. And uh, we are seeing that until when the serpent came and started engaging Eve in a conversation. The Bible says that Satan said this to Eve. Uh, has God indeed said, in fact she was uh, introducing doubt in her heart. Has God indeed said that you shall not eat of the tree of the garden? And the woman said, we may eat the fruit of the trees of life. Sorry, the trees of the garden. But the fruit of the tree in the midst of the garden. God said, we should not eat, neither should we touch it. So up to that point, we are seeing that God was a priority. The word that God spoke was still having a very, very powerful effect on their lives. Yes, the devil was suggesting something that was contrary to what God was saying or what God told them, but they stuck their ground. And they are saying, this is what God said. Even though you are introducing doubt in my heart, but this is what God said. So as far as we are concerned, we are going to obey God. But you see, you need to understand something about Satan. Satan doesn't give up easily. Even if you say no to him today, he will come back. And so, the devil decided to take the conversation to another level. Somebody say another level. This is what the devil said. And then the devil said, and he persisted, and he said, uh, uh, but you know, if you eat, you shall not die. In fact, you, should be, you, you are going to be wise, and you are going to be like God, knowing both evil and good. So that means at that particular point, the devil was trying to show them that everything that God has told you not to do, he is denying you pleasure. He doesn't want you to enjoy life. And that's how the devil comes to us. Everything that God has said, don't do it. The devil tells you, do it, Bana. You need to enjoy life. Everybody's enjoying life. Why are you not doing it? Enjoy life. So if all of a sudden, when you continue to read the scripture, the Bible says she looked at the tree again. And all of a sudden, something that she was afraid to touch, Something that she couldn't even move near it. And all of a sudden, the Bible says, she started desiring the tree. All of a sudden, it looked so good that she even wanted to eat it. All of a sudden, everything changed about that tree. And God was no longer a priority. Are you here, somebody? And before you know it, she had gone to the tree, plucked it, plucked the fruit rather, took the fruit, ate it, and gave to the husband. Who was where? In the field. Who was where? There with him. So they were together. 
Ladies, you should say a very big amen because I have delivered you from being victims. <laughs> so at that particular point, all of a sudden, God was not a priority. Their desires became a priority. Their cravings became a priority. And they satisfied their desires. You see, discipleship brings you to a place where God becomes the priority, not our desires. The moment they saw the tree, they saw the fruit, and they decided to take the fruit and to eat it, that particular moment, the process of discipleship was cut short. Because now they were not obeying God. Who were they obeying? Satan. I pray that that will not be your portion. That amen is so weak. I pray that that will not be your portion. You will not prioritize your flesh above God. You will not allow your desires, selfish, carnal desires, to take precedence over Christ in your life. Can somebody say amen? You see, after Jesus uh, uh, told Peter that you're going to deny me three times, uh, Jesus was trying to tell that guy that your discipleship to me is going to be tested. And Peter said, no, I can't. Even if it is in prison, I will go with you. I will die with you. And he tried, by the way. By the way, he really tried. He chopped somebody's ear trying to fight for Jesus. But Jesus took the same ear and returned it. The guy was confused. I'm trying to help this guy and he's not even seeing. He was confused. And the time Jesus is coming back to Peter, Peter was feeling so bad because he had let Jesus down. He had cut short the process of discipleship. And Jesus told him, do you love me? Do you love me? Three times, do you love me? To cancel every denial that he made as far as Jesus is concerned. But there is something that he said. Jesus told him, do you love me more than this? That means you're saying, do you love me to a point I am a, I am a priority over your life? Do you love me more than this? More than wealth? More than your own security? Do you love me? Am I a priority in your life? Am I the most important thing in your life? And of course, Peter said, yes, I love you. I pray that that will be your answer too. That Jesus will become a priority in your life. Can somebody say amen? So that means when we, when, when we go through the process of discipleship, uh, it will help us to start readjusting our priorities. God takes his place in our lives. Are you getting what I'm saying? Because there are people, the way we are raised, we, we, we never even went to church. We don't even know how to pray. Nothing. Even food. You're trying to learn how to pray for food. Because you never knew. When they just bring the meal on the table, everybody for himself, God for us all. End of story. You don't even thank God for food. And so as you become a disciple of Jesus Christ, some few things have to change in your life. Can somebody say amen? There are people here even going to church on Sunday. That was a proverb in their home. Nobody went to church. Sunday is a day of thorough cleaning. <laughs> Am I saying the truth? Yeah, thorough cleaning. Uh, and some people even nursing hangovers. That was what they are doing on Sunday. All right? 
But, but, but now that you are born again and you are a Christian, discipleship will help you to be able to adjust your priorities. Now Sunday you wake up and you come to church to worship God. And when you miss coming to church, you feel very bad. Because you have become a disciple of Jesus Christ. Come on somebody. Do I have believers in this house? Now serving God has become a priority. The time you used to spend wasting on serving the devil. You don't serve the devil anymore. Now you are serving God. You enjoy dancing in church. You, you enjoy praising God in church. But there were days you were enjoying dancing in discourse. By the way, in discourse, as you dance, the devil comes and sits on you as you are dancing. It's true. As you're dancing there, he's sitting on you. Say, keep on dancing, keep on dancing. And he's sitting on you, sitting on you. You leave that place more depressed. Ah, I don't have real people in this house. Do I have real people in this house? You feel bad. But now you come to church, you worship God, you leave church, you are refreshed. You're feeling nice. You're feeling blessed. Why? Because God has taken the rightful place in your life. Your priorities have changed. Can somebody shout a big amen? Let me give you number three. We are grafted into a new family. When you become a disciple of Jesus Christ, you are grafted into a new family. One of the reasons why God reconciled man back to him is so that he can be part of his family. God is a family man. He loves his family. Of course, we know the story that we have just read in Genesis chapter 3 that the devil came to disrupt the union that was between man and God. The Bible says that God used to come and visit man and just fellowship with him. And the devil was very, very jealous. He didn't like what he was seeing. And so he decided to disrupt that union that was between uh, uh, God and man. In verse 23, the Bible says of the book of Genesis chapter 4, that the Lord God sent him out of the garden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed cherubims at the east of the garden. I was just reading this scripture and I really felt for Adam. I mean, he was in a place where he was enjoying comfort. He was enjoying provision. He was enjoy, enjoying love. I mean, he was in a family setup. And all of a sudden, God is telling him, get out and go. It must have been very painful for him. Do you know that family is very important? Everyone here, we want to belong somewhere. Everyone here, we want to have somebody we can call father, mother, brothers, sisters. You want to know that you're loved. You want to know that you belong to a unit called family. So Adam was chased out of the garden. And so God could not visit him. He could not feel the presence of God. He could not feel the love of God. He was disconnected from God. But thanks be to God for Jesus Christ. Because Jesus came to reconcile man back to God. Can I tell you that we are back? Somebody shout, I'm back. Shout again, I'm back. And that means when you're born again, you're now part of the family of Jesus Christ. So Jesus reconciled us back to God. Now that we are back, nothing, somebody shout nothing. And let me dare say, no one should be able to separate you from this family of God. No one should be able to stand in between you 
and this family that God has already accepted you in. In Mark chapter 10, verse 29 to 30, he says, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or land for my sake and the gospels who shall not receive a hundredfold. Somebody shout a hundredfold. Now what? Brothers and sisters and mothers and even children. That means when you forsake all for the sake of Jesus Christ, you will gain all. Are you getting what I'm saying? So you are not actually losing because God is testing your allegiance. He wants to see where he stands. He wants to see if the love you have for your brothers is more than the love you have for him. And if he's sure that you have much, much more for him, than your, your, your family ties, then the Bible says that you will have a hundredfold of those things. Brothers, sisters, children. Praise the Lord. I didn't know how powerful this thing is until we started this church. Now we are family. All of us, we are family. It's true. In fact, some of us will realize that you will have stronger ties in the church than in your home. Because we are spending time together. We cry together. When you're in pain, we are together. When you're in hospital, we visit you in hospital and pray together. Come on, somebody. Yeah, when you're going through an issue, we are there with you. We are praying with you. And all of a sudden, we become a family. When you don't come, we call you. Why? Because we are a family. Don't say we are disturbing you. We are not disturbing you. You are a family. Tell your neighbor, you are a family. I'm concerned. Yeah. We become this big family that God has created in this place. You see, our natural family sometimes let us down. Because sometimes you grow up in a family and you don't feel fatherly love. There is no father. Or the father is there but he's absent. You only hear when he comes and you hear when he's leaving. But you never see him. There are stories I can tell you, very shocking stories. That even fathers ask their daughters, by the way, what is your name? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I had forgotten. Because <laughs> he's not involved in the life of the child. He's not. Am I saying the truth? And some of them just provide, but you will never see them. You just know you have a father, but you never see him. He doesn't provide. There is no love. There is no acceptance. There is no cohesion in the family setup. But we thank God for the family of God. We thank God for the family of God. Because our father will never let us down. Our father will never forsake us. Our father will never kick us out. Even with our flaws, he will accept us. Even with our failures, he will accept us. Even with our blunders, he will love us. Are you part of this family church? Are you part of this family church? So God wants us to be part of this family. And it is through discipleship that we plug in in this family of God and become part and parcel uh, of it. So discipleship is beneficial to our well-being. It provides a family environment. For us to thrive, somebody shout thrive. For our giftings to be discovered, 
and to understand who we are in Jesus Christ. That's why sometimes you come to church and you don't look like you're anything, but all of a sudden, your giftings begin to show up. You discover, eh, hey, I can sing. You discover, eh, hey, I can lead a prayer meeting. You discover, eh, hey, I can actually do ushering. You discover all of a sudden, there were things that were dormant within you that are beginning to come out. Can somebody say hallelujah? Uh, some of us, even when we were growing up, nobody said, I love you. Then you come to church and you start hearing, we love you. Say, ah, really? Yes, we love you. Ah, me? Yes, we love you. Ah, me? Ah, we love you. Is it my neighbor? No, 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 you. We love you. And all of a sudden, everything about you begins to change. <sighs> Am I saying the truth? Yeah, because some of us, we came from places where it was hard. Very hard. Even for someone just to stroke your hair, very difficult. It doesn't happen. Can I go deeper? There is no yes, so let me move on to another point. <laughs> let me give you another one. Number four, the compensation of discipleship. We shall receive material blessings. We receive material blessings. By following Jesus Christ, we receive material blessings. You see, Christianity has often been accused of promising pie in the sky, by and by. Even the songs that we sing, some of them support this notion. My car is in heaven. My wife is in heaven. My children are in heaven. My job is in heaven. Can I sing to you that song? Huh? Put your hands together. How many have heard that song? So we believe everything that we are going to get is in heaven. But I always say that there are things if you don't enjoy here, you can't enjoy them in heaven. There is no car in heaven. For what? You don't need a car in heaven. Are you getting There is no plot in heaven. Jesus has already built houses for us. Huh? You don't believe. The Bible says he goes to prepare a place for us. So that where he is, that's where we are going to be. So your house is ready. Hmm. Jesus. Glory. Let me serve God, man. Everything is ready. So there are things we need to enjoy here. There's no marriage in heaven. Yeah. Heaven, you'll just be seeing your wife. You say, hi. Bye. <laughs> marriage happens here. Blessings, some of the blessings that we need to enjoy, we need to enjoy them here. Alright? So by forsaking all and allowing Christ to take precedence over all these things, the Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all its righteousness and all these other things shall be added unto you. Amen? You see, God only withholds what is not good for us. However, if he does withhold what seems good, he replaces it with something far better 
Not just in the future, but also in the present. So that means when God is saying, forsake this for me, he knows what he's doing. His mathematics is right. He knows by you forsaking this, then he has prepared for you something that is better than what you are leaving behind. Oh, there is no amen in this house. That's why in Mark chapter 10, it says, I surely say unto you, there is no one who has left houses for my sake, lands for my sake, and the gospel, who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses. Somebody shout houses. And these are not rental houses. You will be the landlord. Houses and what? And lands. Not for leasing. You have the title deed. Because the Bible says the earth and the fullness thereof belongs to who? Belongs to God. Can I just go a little bit deeper? Now, a hundredfold means this. I was just studying that a hundredfold. A hundredfold means a hundred times as much or as many or many times more. Now, this one is, is powerful, the last one. A hundredfold also means in multiples of a hundred. You missed a place to say amen. I know the mathematics for some of you is very difficult. I am with you. We don't do numbers. <laughs> but I want you to get something. In other words, God is going to multiply whatever you are living because of him. So that you will not just get it in the state you left it. But you will get it in multiples of a hundred. Oh, you missed that. In other words, the end result of discipleship will bring back what you forsook for Christ's sake. But, somebody shout but. But in excess measure, there will be a surplus. So that means if I am willing to forsake a car for the sake of Jesus Christ, he will not just bless me with a car, but he will bless me with cars in the dimension of multiples of a hundred. Hmm. I'm coming down your street. If I forsake land for the sake of God, he will not just give me land, but he will give me lands in a dimension of multiples of a hundred. So it will not just be land, but it will be lands. Are you ready for this dimension? Come on, church. Are you ready for this dimension? That is where God is taking us. He's taking you to a place of excess. He's taking you to a place of more than enough. He's taking you to a place uh, where you will have more than what you left behind. I don't know who I'm preaching to, but I came to tell you that when you forsake all and you decide to pay the price of being a disciple of Jesus Christ, everything that you have said no to, it will come back to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. I don't know who is ready for this level, but I see increase coming your way. I see a surplus coming your way. I see excess coming your way in the name of Jesus if you believe it, shout a big hallelujah. 
Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, Jesus. Can I preach like I feel it? Ah, get ready for a dimension of curse. Not just curse, but curse. Get ready for a dimension of lands. Not just land, but lands. Get ready for a dimension of businesses. Not just a business. Because God is bringing you to a place where he will not just give you what you need, but he will empower you to give unto others because you are walking in excess blessings. You are walking in too much blessings around your life. Oh, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I know you have one curse, but let me tell you, it is just a beginning of what God wants to do in your life. If you embrace the cost of discipleship, I want you to know that God will bless you with not just a car that looks like the one you're driving, but a better car than the one that you're driving. Am I preaching to people in this house? You will gain a hundredfold. A hundredfold. So get ready. Tell, tell your neighbor, get ready. Tell your neighbor again, get ready. Because it is coming. My God, I feel an anointing in this house. I release that dimension. I release that dimension upon your life. Where you will not just have enough for the month, but God will give you surplus for the whole year. God will give you surplus for the whole month. God will give you surplus for five years. Somebody shout, money is coming. Somebody shout, wealth is coming. Somebody shout, prosperity is coming. Somebody shout, increase is coming. I prophesy it over your life. As you follow Jesus Christ, may you be blessed. As you follow Jesus Christ, may you prosper. As you follow Jesus Christ, I declare increase and exchange upon your life. If you believe it, shout a big hallelujah. Mm, yeah, 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 yeah. Multiples of a hundred coming upon your life. So I challenge you to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Number five as I finish. Number five as I finish. The compensation of being a disciple is you are assured of eternal life. Eternal life. Jesus said, and in the age to come, there is an age that is coming. There is life after death. In the age to come, when everything else has passed away, when the world is over, in the age to come, Jesus said, if you're my disciple, you will receive eternal life. I came to tell you that we are not just blowing hot air here. We are not just wasting time here. I want you to know that by following Jesus Christ, we know that there is life after death. And after everything else is said and done, and the world has been wrapped together, and everything has come to an end, we will stand before God, and God will say, because you are my disciple, enter into eternal rest. Enter into my heaven. A place where there is peace. A place where there is no pain, there is no disease, there is no sickness, there is no Al-Shabaab. 
There is no demolition of property, a place where we shall be with God. The only thing we will do is to worship God and to love God and just being in his presence. Oh, I hope I will see you there because I'm planning to go there. When you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, this is the hope that you should have. That in eternity future, you will spend time with God forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. It can't even come to an end. You will be forever in the presence of God. But if you shun the cost of discipleship and say, I will not follow Christ. The Bible says that some people will stand before Jesus and say, Jesus, ah, I even attended a sermon series by Pastor D. He was doing discipleship. I was there. Then Jesus will say, by the way, did you practice what he said? No. But I can give you all the points, Jesus. The Bible says some people will stand before Jesus and they will say, Master, we did things in your name. We did this in your name. We prayed in your name. But he will say, depart from me because I don't know you. He will tell them, as far as discipleship is concerned, you are not in the list. The last time I checked, your name was not there. You were not recruited in the army of disciples or discipleship. And so he will say, depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. And you will end up in a place called hell. Nobody should lie to you that there is no hell. There is hell. And there is fire burning. Let me tell you, it has an indescribable, excruciating pain. You cannot even explain it. You can't even comprehend it. It is so painful. It is so bad. And the Bible says you will burn forever and forever and forever. I mean, it is a place where even a drop of water is scarce. Bible says that when the rich man was in this place, he even pleaded with Father Abraham, please, I don't even want a glass of water. I just want a drop because my tongue is on fire. It is a place where even a drop of water is scarce. I don't want you to go there. I don't want you to go there. I want you to be with God in heaven. In heaven there is water, Bana. Oh, the Bible says there is a stream whose, uh, there is a river whose streams makes glad the city of our God. There is refreshment in heaven. There is peace in heaven. There is love in heaven. There is comfort in heaven. When we are true disciples of Jesus Christ, we are assured of eternal life. Please don't be left behind. Nobody should cheat you. Tomorrow has been promised to no one. The Bible says Jesus will come like a thief. In the twinkling of an eye, everything will change. And all of us will stand before God. I don't know where you will go. Can you imagine? Right now you are before God and God is asking you, what, what reason do you have for me to let you into my heaven? And some people will fumble. Some people will stumble. Some people will even will be, will be trying to explain themselves and words will not be coming out of their mouth because they know that they have blown the chance that they were given here on earth to be disciples of Jesus Christ. I came to challenge you this morning and to let you know that when you follow Jesus, when you love Jesus, when you become a true disciple of Jesus Christ,
at the end of this life, you are assured of eternal life together with Jesus Christ. I hope I'll see you there. Are you going to be there? I hope I'll see you there. We shall be meeting on the streets of gold. And I'll be telling you, I thank God you made that decision. Oh, I'll be visiting your house. Maybe you'll be my neighbor. Oh, we'll be beating stories. I say, you remember when we were on earth, we were serving God. Oh, I wish I will see. I, wish, I hope I will see you there. Will I see you there? Come on, somebody. Will I see you there in heaven, uh, bowing before God and worshiping? Will I see you there? Please don't be left behind. There is a benefit of becoming a true disciple of Jesus Christ. Let's stand to our feet. Thank you for listening to this podcast. You can now get in touch with Dr. Dazu Techero on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.